Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast, a multimedia project intended to highlight the careers of leaders of color across the healthcare industry. Students, early professionals, and the community at large can expect to gain valuable, unapologetic insight on the career journeys of individuals whose lived experience and personal mission has been centered in advancing health equity. Thanks for listening. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Today, we are joined by Ronald Griffin, Director of Clinical Services at the St. Louis County Department of Public Health. Ronald, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor being here. I'm, I'm truly grateful. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Ronald, for being here. Uh, we always like to start off with asking about your background and your journey through healthcare up until this point. Can you just tell us a little bit and our listeners about yourself? Man, it's crazy. I'm I'm a product of St. Louis, and I know that I know that you both are are uh, not from St. Louis. But I have to preface by saying that you have done some remarkable work in this space so far. I've been following y'all low key. I've been following you since you started this whole ordeal, and I think that it's something amazing. It's truly, uh, it's truly refreshing to see young minds uh, take on issues that we face daily that we seemingly don't have solutions for but you are constantly putting information out there to start people to thinking about possibilities and what haven't I thought about and challenging the status quo. So I applaud you. Uh, man, I was born here in St. Louis. Uh, you know, my upbringing was a mix of uh, challenges and rewards, actually. You know, I lived in the city, uh, raised by my grandparents. I'm sorry, I forgot, I gotta step closer. Raised by my grandparents. Uh, and, and my mom, who was uh, who was uh, one of the best nurses that I know, uh, it was a close knit community, but it was filled with a lot of, you know, crime and substandard school systems. And it, it didn't always uh, work to the advantage of being a smart kid in a place when people are, are going to look at you funny. Right. And I was always smart, man. I just never studied. So, you know, God given talents uh, when I was younger. And so I was just fortunate enough that people saw something special in me and kept me out of trouble, so to speak. So I have to pay homage to my upbringings, man, and those people that came before me that, that kind of paved the way. I love that. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that we always try to do is shine a light on St. Louis, right? And uh, it really is a beautiful place, beautiful sense of community. But, you know, like we were talking about before we officially kicked off, you know, there's just a lot of inequities um, here uh, within the region in particular. So as a young cat who kind of, you know, had, you know, more structure and kind of that, you know, family um, environment, can you speak to like, you know, when you started to kind of cultivate your dreams around healthcare or just your profession and what, how you were going to contribute, what you were going to do? Brother, I've always been fascinated with healthcare and science and how I can do things, man. I was, I remember growing up uh, and, you know, my grandfather would always take me out fishing and hunting and all this stuff, man. I would try to figure out how can I make a solution to kill bugs, but not plants. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's just crazy. Who has these thoughts at five years old? So I knew that I always wanted to do something for the betterment of humanity. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, man, I remember this show was on. It was uh, Marcus Welby, MD, I think. And one of the first things that came to my mind is like, you know what? I was telling my grandmother, well, I ain't no black folk on here. I don't see nobody that looked like me in this space. And then most importantly, you know, 
who are making the decisions because when you see the guys walking around in the suits on those shows, they don't look nothing like me. They can't possibly understand the plight and the struggle that I've come from. So when we, we wonder why we're in this situation now, it's because people who are making the decisions don't have a connection to the people that they're out here, that they took an oath for to be out here to support and advocate for, man. When, when it comes down to dollars and cents, people are always put on the back burner, especially our people. So we're we going to change some of that. You know, this podcast is one of those first steps at making a difference and getting the voice out and letting people, again, have some possibilities about what the future holds and, and feel comfortable in standing in their skin and standing on how they feel. So, yeah, my, my journey is, has been a solid foundation. It was laid by my family. You know, I explored my this healthcare field. My mom was a nurse and my grandmothers were a nurse. And, you know, I carry a legacy of my family's commitment to healthcare and I'm, I'm proud of that. And I'm determined to, to not let it fail. Not see, that's, this is why we can't turn the other cheek, man. We, when things aren't right, when there's inequity and unfairness and social determinants, we have to say something about it. When we don't say anything about it, we are part of the problem. We have to stand for, my grandfather used to always tell me, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. You don't know what those those things say. when You don't know what they mean when you're a kid. But when you get into this adult world and you start seeing things for what they are, you can start appreciating those, those sayings and then incorporate them into your everyday lifestyle. Wow. I'm sorry, Brandon. Uh, you know, that was, uh, I know I can, yeah, the question, but that was, that's very powerful. And I think one of the things that um, I just, really stands out to me is the family legacy motivating you right and this kind of commitment to to service and to perseverance so it's safe to say you probably were aware of a few things uh more so than your other colleagues when you first started out can you kind of just talk to us about some of those first experiences in healthcare whether it was nursing or other roles that you served and kind of just what was that initial exposure like so yes you you know i i am a nurse and I take this whole nursing thing very serious. You know, I always wanted to be the best at what I did. So I was, you know, I remember, um, so I was in the military. I went to the Air Force in 1987. Um, I know I'm dating myself, uh, but in 1987, I went to the Air Force, went to Desert Storm in 91, and then wind up getting out. Uh, through that journey, I, you know, I learned a lot of things. As, as in the Air Force, I was a security specialist at first, then I cross-trained into the medical field. I stayed in the medical field because I loved it. Actually, I, I actually love taking care of people and helping people that are in dire straits and then giving them a, a sad, uh, desperate situation and doing a 180 and letting them see that people do have qualities that they want to share and support them in their times of need and be supportive in that same uh, breath and advocating for them uh, essentially. Uh, you know, there, there was this thing that went back to me. Some of the emergency room was nursed by trade. And I was at church one day and this uh, this uh, lady that went to the church, she had she had a syncopal episode. So for those who aren't healthcare savvy, that means she, she passed out. And I was just there, right? So I, I went over to her, checked her out, and I straight up started doing neuro checks, man. Before I knew it, I realized that, you know, she was having a stroke. So someone called 911. I worked in the emergency room at that time, stayed with her the whole time, gave the report to EMS when they got there, made sure that she could, you know, uh, stay 
as conscious as I could keep her. And I wanted to protect her airway too, just in case she threw up or something. So just there the whole time, I was fortunate enough to be able to ride in the back of the ambulance with her to the emergency room that I worked at. So when I got there, you know, I just automatically started going into super nurse mode and doing what I could. And I would do that for anybody, not just her, right? So, uh, you know, long story short, man, we wind up starting her on some uh, medications to help with her stroke symptoms and she started gradually coming back. And that's something that I'll never forget because I think it's important for you to be in the right place at the right time and take whatever circumstance life gives you and you turn it into something phenomenal. And so this was my phenomenal moment. And what, and, you know, if I think back to that time, uh, she, she was uh, a healthcare administrator and uh, I knew it, but I didn't know to what capacity she was, right? She was also a nurse practitioner. And so I, uh, and I'm so grateful to her for this day because after she, through her recovery period, she gave me a call and she said that, uh, I'm looking for a nurse manager. Would you be interested in being my site manager? And so, I mean, just based off of that interaction, you know, wow. it's not, not something I thought about though. Uh, I didn't think about leadership at that time. I was already, you know, just kind of focused on uh, doing, being the best nurse that I could be, getting my ACLS, getting my trauma certification and, and doing what I could do. So she's the one who gave me the leadership uh, bite and opportunity and I stepped on faith. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. You know, first and foremost, thank you for your service, um, but not just in regards to the Air Force, right? I think, um, you know, working with my nurses here in clinic, I truly believe that it's like it's like ministry or like teaching. It's a calling um, when we talk about nursing. Uh, so thank you for that as well. And uh, one thing I, I like to ask is is just the career path. I mean, you talked about how, you know, you, you found yourself as a nurse doing the best you can, being the best nurse you could first. And then somebody recognizing that and then putting you in a position, a leadership position. And can you just kind of talk about maybe was that intentional, not that, that not that, uh, I guess that exchange in particular, but was it an intentional career path that you wanted to get to leadership or was it something that basically, again, like nursing, was it a calling? Yeah, so uh, leadership became a calling. Nursing is still my first love. You know, I still kind of miss at the bedside. So I'll, I'll go through the clinics now when I round. And, you know, hey, what can I do? You need me to draw some blood? What can I do? Can I assess somebody? You know what I'm saying? Because I still want to, I still want to have that connection with the people. Uh, so my career, it's, it's a little, it's a little different because, you know, at first, even though I had the family legacy, I never wanted to be a nurse. I, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And, and being in that space, seeing what doctors do, I realized very quickly, because I remember the stories that my mother and my grandmother would tell me that the doctors don't really know anything, that the nurses are the one who run stuff. And so they were absolutely right. But even though I got that introduction to nursing early on, you know, my goal was to be the first doctor in the family, because that was something that was uh, held in high esteem. And I, I always want to make my family proud of the decisions that I've made and the career paths that I've taken. And so... Uh, after I realized that that was not the spot for me, right? I, I needed my time. I needed my freedom. I wanted to be able to do things uh, under my own. Uh, I, I, I really wanted to get into a place where I could provide some service, some comfort, some compassion, some love, some touch, some conversation to people who needed it at that time. 
They didn't need someone talking at them. They needed somebody listening to them and talking to them. And so that's what nurses do in this space. We are healing. We are healers. So that was kind of what it was. And then I remember someone telling me there was uh, an initiative uh, and I was I was asked if I could uh, go ahead and, you know, can I can I try this? I, I just want to try it. I had to ask people if I could do this or ask people if I could do that. And I would always think, man, if I was in charge, I could just do it. Right. So uh, after that, that first opportunity of leadership came, I, I got that bug and I enjoyed it. It was in public health sector as well. And I enjoyed it. So after that, was no going back. I would never take a regular staff role. Nothing's wrong with it. But I wanted to I wanted to promote policy. I wanted to write standard operating procedures. I wanted to make sure that people were getting the care that they needed. A lot of times leaders are disconnected to what's going out there in the healthcare, in the healthcare realm. And so because uh, I'm connected to the patient, which is one of the most important reasons, the only reason for us to go into healthcare is to care for people. Honestly, that is the fundamental reason to care for people that are that have uh, disparities and that also have some uh, population health issues. I want to attack chronic health. You know, I, I, I wanted to do all of that stuff. And I thought that nursing was the best way for me to do it. Nursing leadership specifically helped me to write the policies that govern how we did things. So a policy kind of tells you what we do. Standard operating procedures, procedure tells you how we do them. And so not only did I want to say what we did, but I also wanted to talk about how we did it. And then when you talk about standard work, which is a subset of the standard operating procedure, here's the intricacies of the work that we do, of how we do it. And I don't mean to be talking in code, but it's just kind of the way my mind works. I may go from point A to point C, back to point T, up to point R. That's just how it works. So I hope you can stay with me. If I need to go back and recap, I will. So uh, the leadership bug, I was bit by it because I've had some amazing leaders and I've had some that weren't so good at also. The ones that weren't so good, I learned something from, right? Because you have to look at every situation that you're in as a learning experience. I don't have time to t- to talk about, you know, they did this, they did that, because it's really not per- it's not that personal to me. The work that I do for the public is personal. The relationships that I have with people that do the work that I do, it's about business of taking care of the people in public. So I hope I answered your question. (laughs) So, wow, there's a lot. There's a lot in there. Um, I kind of want you to, if you could expand a little bit on this concept of you know, your commitment in, in, in your, in your role as a healthcare leader, um, your commitment to the public is personal, Yeah. but as an emerging healthcare professional, healthcare leader, you got your relationship with your leader is strictly business. Can you just, because that is something that I think a lot of people, particularly, you know, right now um, with all these, the changes coming to work, particularly younger professionals can struggle with, you know, if they have a boss or they have a relationship with their supervisor where they feel like this ain't it or I'm not learning. I'm I'm, going to stop you. First off, let me explain something. You don't have a boss. You're Mm -hmm. your own boss. You have a supervisor. Facts. You don't, you don't don't do that again, please. (laughs) You you have a supervisor, not a boss. I don't let people call me their boss. I am their supervisor who just happens to write their performance appraisal. Got you. 
All right. Thank you. I'm sorry. Go on. Sorry about that. No, I mean, but that, that, um, <laughs> you know, it's funny that you even said that, you know, and I kind of asked you to explain, expand on this. Cause I think this is something that on multiple projects that I've been experiencing, I definitely see where you're coming from in terms of you always have something to learn. Right. Yeah. And so you can't, you know, get caught up in the, Oh, well, they're doing this to me, or this is not going our way. And I think a lot of times, as black professionals in particular, this could be something that we come across. And I feel like as a younger professional, Brandon, I don't know if you would co-sign this. Sometimes I think there's a balance between how much do I, I guess I tolerate, right? You know, or, or how much do I really, you know, let this impact my development versus, you know, speaking up, trying to change this relationship. And so I love your breakdown of the business, you know, versus, you know, what's personal. Um, so I would just want you to expand on that, you know, a little bit so, more. So there's different weight to that, right? Okay. Because I allow, if I allow, if, if I allow those effects that you just spoke of, you know, feeling he's talking to me disrespectfully, or I, I check stuff as it goes, but I'm very calculated in how I check it. So that, that's a difference also. So you don't let anybody you know, talk down to you or discredit you. And, but it doesn't have to be a pissing contest either. What, what you do is you hold yourself in high regard. Michelle Obama said it best. When they go low, we go high. And so I took that to say is that I'm going to show you that you can't outthink me because you're looking at me, but you're seeing somebody else. Because if you knew me, you wouldn't talk to me that way. Your, your imagination is running wild with you because you think that I'm someone else that your imagination has made and I'm not that person. So when I when I come back, it's usually about strictly business. I don't let that personal stuff. Now, when I get home, I'll talk to my wife. I was like, you know, I wanted to, you know what I'm saying? But that's just then. But in when we're in this roles, man, we can't feed into stereotypes. We, we can't allow that to stop our trajectory because there's a lot of young brothers who've been put into this box been given this opportunity to do something great and they allowed people to make them feel uncomfortable and like they didn't belong there. What I'm going to tell you and Brandon is you belong in the space that you're in. As a matter of fact, I would even argue that you're too good for the space that you're in because of what you bring to the table. So these are lessons that you have to learn about what's personal and what's business. Those things that affect the public and, and healthcare outcomes, it has to be personal with us because the majority of people that are going through these dire straits look like us. It has to be personal. The business part is that, so I had someone tell me about art negotiating, right? You don't always try to win. And so, you know, when I go into, say, salary, if I'm negotiating salary and I say that, say, my top dollar mark is, say, $200,000, I want $200,000. That's my top mark, right? So my initial offer, my what, what I'm going to counter whatever they give me is going to be 215, right? They're going, they're going to counter back and they're going to go something lower than that. And then I'll say, I'll say 200. They'll say, no, we can't go 200. They'll say, can you do, can you do 190? And so really my magic number was 175 anyway. So when I go in, and, and so that's business to me, because now I feel that you're going to equitably pay me what I'm worth to do what I'm going to do. And if I do this, please know that I don't like being micromanaged. 
and I need to have some autonomy to make some change. And so that's that's the business piece. You know, we just have to be savvy players in that because they will, man, listen, there are forces out there that does not want to see you succeed in this space. And so you just have to be conscious of that. And always, if you have this, so I have this angel on one shoulder and I have the devil on the other. The devil's always trying to get me to get into the mix with things. But I always listen to the angel side because the angel side is what gives me favor. And it also allows me to go about my mission of making these things that are important to me put on the on the front end and not put it on the back burner. I hope that makes awesome. sense. No, honestly, Ronald, it was really profound, and I think it really resonated. I know with me, but I could, I could probably deal with Winston as well in our audience. So thank you for sharing those gems. Um, I think it's difficult in times for us to be agents of change, um, especially in these spaces where we're supposed to be healthcare administrators. And sometimes, um, if I'm just being honest, you know, the patient outcome is almost diametrically opposed with um, that return on investment uh, business model. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, just – hearing it from somebody like yourself i think is always a good confirmation um switch gears a little bit and i'm sorry when we come back can you tell us a little bit about your role currently um yeah. and then like what maybe like a successful year in that role as a director of clinical services look like looks like so you know i'm responsible for day-to-day -day operations and, and on the clinical side and the administrative operations for dph's clinical area and that includes uh corrections medicine at the buzz westfall uh, as well as uh, juvenile services, uh, the medicate, the medicine portions of those uh, arms. And so, you know, man, success involves achieving measurable outcomes, bro. When you, I, I keep talking about social determinants of health and how uh, our community is predisposed to them. And so we have to kind of address what those, what those uh, through evidence-based practice to see what we can do to alleviate some of those obstacles. And reducing the incidence of chronic disease is something that's super important to us on the public health side. And let me just say, Dr. Kanika Cunningham is the director of public health in St. Louis County. She is amazing. She comes with a wonderful uh, resume of inspired work in the community. And she thinks outside the box. She's looking to change the dynamics of what uh, DPH is what we call it, what our reputation is in the community. And because we want to bring people back, we want to let them know the work that we do in this space. So I would be remiss if I didn't say that the only reason I'm here is to follow and learn under her tutelage and leadership. And that's another thing that we have to do. We have to be open to giving shouts out to people that made profound differences and changes in your life, like Andwella Jolly. You get what I'm saying? Like Derek Melton, like some of these other trailblazers who've come to these spaces and created an atmosphere for me to be successful because they trusted enough in me to lend me their ear and to also share some gems, drop those nuggets that you were talking about, Brandon. So, you know, interventions that uh, address the most serious diseases in our community and improving access to preventive services is super important to me. Uh, one of the most significant things is that what you asked? What, what was the second part of the question? No, I think you touched on it. We just look what, what your role is now, and then basically what does a successful year look like? But I mean, yeah. please, you're on a roll right now. I'm not going to yeah, stop yeah. you. You got some yeah, okay. more, please. Yeah, let me go. So <laughs> a successful year, and because I've only been in this space since April, uh, but a successful year is 
tearing down stereotypes in the way people looked at public health uh, and then to create. So what we're trying to do here at, the, at uh, Corrections Medicine is create a center of excellence, right? And let me just talk about that. My successful year, we were able to successfully put in a director of nursing into this space when there wasn't one before. We streamlined the chief operating officer role uh, to just include administration and operations and left the clinical to the clinical folks. And we have a wonderful team of, of uh, 24-7 providers that are in this space that look at us as making a substantial role in reducing the rate of recidivism for our patient population and doing something different. So we've created an atmosphere to where as we're, we're um, incorporating and collaborating with other agencies so that we can do hand, soft handoffs to people that are released from corrections medicine back into the public so we can concentrate on behavioral health models, so we can concentrate on getting them uh, care for their chronic disease and illness, for coaching opportunities through uh, depression and mental health issues, uh, through substance use issues with our medication-assisted therapy plans. We are doing a lot in this space, and we're marrying that again with Justice Services, who, who, because you have new leadership over there as well. So we're trying to create a different dynamic in this space that, that quite honestly, from what I know, outside, looking in, wasn't there. And so just to know that we have a great partnership with them, and this is something else that uh, that Dr. Cunningham put in place. And, and, and I know you're asking me questions, but I have to pivot and say that because of her leadership and her ability to be able to uh, have influential relationships on the justice service side allows us to do the work that we do in this space differently by providing people with substance use disorder help early on, by helping people transition from the, the incarceration side to the productive citizen side by using the programs that we have at our disposal to make sure that they're successful in that space. It's all about intention and we are intentionally trying to make a difference in the lives of folks. And so that's a wonderful year when I can look at the data and I can say that out of the, out of the, the say the 72% recidivism rate for St. Louis County Justice Center and Corrections, it's now next year when we look at these numbers, it's now down to 42, that's significant to me. You know, it's, it's little stuff, man. And we have to be open to accepting that. Someone told me today, for think, because there's a lot of work in this space that we have to do. So someone told me today that when you think about it, you can't get so caught up on those things that don't go right and all of the piles of paper and decisions that you have to make in your everyday roles. But sometimes you have to stop, ring the bell as a reminder of what you've been able to accomplish in this space. You gotta be able to ring the bell. And so that brings you back and it grounds you to let you know, because you know we can get disenfranchised with this work sometimes. We can get so involved in it that we don't, we don't look for our successes and we don't celebrate it. Wow. Uh, I think that's absolutely, it's absolutely true. Um, it can get real easy to not look for the successes or not count anything you're doing as actually, you know, moving the needle. But I think that, um, number one, a Department of Public Health, you know, really being behind, uh, you know, the justice population and corrections medicine, and I think impacting the continuity of care in a different way, right? You know, coming from a health system or hospital mindset, 
you know, you really think ED, inpatient, outpatient, are they uh, hearing the medication, you know? And when they come here, are they good? Are we treating them well? Whereas like the Department of Public Health side is much more, let's make sure this transition is actually right. So that once that they are out and returning citizens, we can make sure that they get the actual health services that typically they don't get. And a lot of people don't get, which are the behavioral health, you know, things that you you talked about. And so could you just shine a light more so on corrections medicine and yeah. why this is important in a place like St. Louis um, and particularly for our community? Yeah. So when you look at the numbers, I mean, just statistically speaking, when you look at the population and it's over 80% African-American, that tells you something that tells you that. And so I always tell people, you know, they talk about crime and violence and trauma, you know, and they think it's a policing issue. No, it's a public health emergency. So it being a public health emergency, we have to do things differently. It's not always about, for instance, I'll give you some of the programs that we're looking at uh, implementing, looking at uh, co-responder programs. Whereas as a co-responder, you ride along with the police officer, you have a, a, a license an LCFW, licensed clinical social worker, uh, to our, our conflict negotiator that rides along with them to identify people that have either substance use issues or those experiencing homelessness, you know, and, and sometimes, and they have behavioral health issues as well. So you have people that can de-escalate in that space. That's the advantage of having a public health center or organization that they can come to and seek. We have a, we have a primary care medical we're designated a primary care medical in our three locations. So let's go back to corrections medicine. In that space, you can come in here. If you're addicted to medications and you have a substance use issue, we can put you on a MAD program. We do it. That's medication-assisted therapy to help you so that you don't go into withdrawals. And so, and then we don't have any criteria that says you can't be a part of it, right? Because, because history has shown that they put criteria on especially when you're, this is not a, a penitentiary. This is, you know, this is a jail. It's, it's not uh, for long-term incarceration. And so people that come here, if they're going on to say a penitentiary, the criteria uh, stops them from being part of a program, you know, like the MAD program. And we took down those uh, parameters. So there's no barriers to treatment in this space. And, you know, we do it willingly. We put social workers behind it. We put uh, uh, community health workers. So here's the important thing. Because we have community health workers through the wonderful work of uh, uh, Damon Brodus, who's over, he's the division director of health promotions. Look, I'm going to shout out people who, man, do I see doing some amazing things in this space. Uh, Damon Brodus, man, he uh, puts our grants together for our community health workers and educators. And, you know, he had some to bring to corrections medicine. And so now, we're doing Medicaid expansion in prisons, right? Because you know what happened when PHE went down, when it stopped, then you have people having to re have to, having to re-enroll into those spaces. And there's no blueprint really, right? So you have people trying to figure it out. And then there's most people that look like us, they're going round and round and round and wondering why these services aren't being provided because they don't have anybody to hold their hand and give them at the elbow support. We're doing that with corrections medicine. We will be doing that in our clinical space. So when I tell you the significance of the work that we're doing in this space, we are changing and transforming lives. I'll give an example. I, 
picture this. I'm walking down the street one day and somebody comes up to me and they're getting ready to rob me, right? I turn around. Oh, hey, Mr. Griffin, what's going on, man? You remember me? I was at, I was at uh, Buzz Westfall, right? I was like, man, what's, what's going on? Did you get your appointment? Man, yeah, man, it's hard out here, though. So here's my card. You need to call me, put the gun away, cut it out, come and see me so that we can link you up. What you need? Right. These are conversations. Right. Somebody is willing to be open. And because you made such a profound difference in them, they, they're going to give you grace because you've shown them grace. And then if we all you got to do is catch the fish first. Right. We don't have to put any parameters on people. We just we just get them to a place, meet them where they are and then show transparency and build trust. That's what leaders do. And so what we're trying to do is change the lives of people that's going to ultimately change our social economic status. So once we put them back in place, where's the where's the uh, wraparound services? Right. We have those. We can give you all the wraparound services you need. We partner with uh, employers that hire. We teach you the process of going through it. At least that's one of my goals uh, for calendar year 24 to put things like that in place to start giving our community centers back to our, our community. So not just looking at us as in a place that you go when you got the, the clap. No, we, we do much, much, much more than that. <laughs> well, I, sorry, Brandon, I got another follow-up <laughs> question because uh, that, was, that was great. Um, so, you know, one thing that I think is so distinct when I hear you speak just about the desire to change patient outcomes is you really are centering the life and the community of the patient, right? It's not a customer that's going to come back to your doorstep. And when, and so and so for me, I have my, my uh, MPH, right? And I yep. wanted to purposely attack healthcare really that's that was my language at the time um but with that public health background and with that public health lens and it was not easily translatable when i first started out and i'm still i still find challenges here or there you went from academic medicine you know top ranked you know medical school uh clinical administration to public health department so can you speak to that transition? How do you feel that you have been empowered? What are the different things that you've been able to do? Um, and just some of your major takeaways from, from this move. Well, as you know, it, it's really hard to maneuver in this space. And uh, when, when you're here, you have to be kind of just open to reality. And so what drives me is that I've seen all sides. I've worked for public hospitals, private hospitals. I've worked for the Veterans Administration. And all of this was, it was really the plan for leadership, right? At the at the highest level. One day I'm gonna be a, a chief executive officer of some health system organization, period. I don't know when that's gonna be, I'm not looking, but that's my, my goal. Because I wanna create a center of excellence in everywhere that I go that treats people that, are, that need the most assistance, right? So let's even the playing field. Let's look through things through a more equitable lens. What I've seen in academia, we don't make it, we make it very difficult uh, for people that are socially, economically uh, not, you know, that are below the poverty level, that don't have the bells and the whistles as far as the things that life offers and they need help. And I don't see a lot of times, well, let me just be frank. 
there have been opportunities that uh, weren't taken advantage of and people were turned away because we didn't take their insurance. That's problematic with me. We won't turn you away at the Department of Public Health. And that's the kind of system that I like being a part of who people can come as they are and they can get treated and cared for in the most uh, meaningful, professional, uh, open and compassionate way. Now, are there some difficulties maneuvering this space? Yeah, you're going to get that when you work for the government, but there's some bureaucracy. But I am a firm believer in what I believe. There may be some muffling. Sorry, oh, with sorry, the audio. Sorry about that. Thank you. Okay. So let me let me lean back in. Uh, where where did I leave off? Uh, right where were you just saying? Uh, uh I cut uh, you cut it off. But we're talking about um, we turn pe- patients away for insurance, you know, because they don't yeah. have insurance. These kinds of things. Yeah, and and I'm sure that I mean because it doesn't meet their financial and fiscal model. So when we start talking about return on an investment, and we talked about this, you know, before we started rolling, uh, about how the motivation for all of the social support that organizations like, you know, academic organizations and other uh, private and public uh, health systems, they do, well, especially the, the, the public ones, they do it because it's part of their bottom line. So if, if I take money, that's a huge tax break from a multi-billion dollar company that they're getting by by investing in social services. Now, all social services aren't good social services. So if you're going to invest something that has some meaning and value to the community, you can't create that in a lab. You can't create that in an office of a boardroom. You have to create that in the community. And if you don't have those resources in the community on the grass levels, boots on ground, talking to people who are telling them what they need in their lives, they're telling us they need this, but we're giving them that because they don't know what they need. We know what they need. I, I can't. I don't have time for that. And and you know, once uh, we reach those levels uh, of hierarchy, uh, when you start thinking about career choices, once you meet those levels as a leader, once you get to the point that you feel that it's not value, you're going to have to make a tough decision, right? Am I staying in this for the right reason? Is this where I want to be? And so public health is where I chose to be. Public health is where I want to be. Uh, so just kind of take that to heart, man. Uh, there's some opportunity out here. And if you want to be about the people and make a difference, then this is the place that, you know, I would, I would say uh, has the greatest need for the brightest minds to create new, uh, so new service type, you know, so we have fee for service and we have value-based service and those, we have to think outside the box uh, because we are, we are a society of people that require that. You can't use the same thing that you used on my grandmother and your generation is like this too. That's why I love y'all. I love your energy, I love your vibe, I love your your clearness of thought, and then your brashness and boldness to be able to step into this space where others typically, man, they just want the job and they'll they'll put their head down and hide behind the door when it's time to make some tough decisions or stand up for something that's not right. So I refuse to be that guy. And and when when I feel that and I know for the again, when you say that you're a when you say that you're nonprofit and everything that you talk is profit, that's a problem. Everything that you talk is about profit. 
I know you, I'm not going to say any names, but I know you know what I'm talking about. Everything that you talk about is profit. Oh, we can't afford this. We can't afford that. Okay. So you have, you wonder why you have a no-show rate that's so high. What are you doing about it? Nothing. We're going to send them a letter and tell them that we're going to divorce them of their services and they only have 30 days with us left. Not us. You come to us. We're going to take care of you at the Department of St. Louis County Department of Public Health. I didn't mean for this to be a commercial either. I'm just so happy, man. Listen, you, you don't understand the freedom that you get when you feel that the work that you're doing is actually making a difference, right? When you, when I come to work, I, I look forward to getting up every day and face the challenges of people who don't have, who are just out there just asking, can you help me? Can you help me? I feel calls from community organizations. I feel calls from churches, from schools, you know, and I'm going to help them tell, tell me what you need and we're going to create something to provide that service for you, whatever it is. And that's when you have great leadership like Dr. Kanika Cunningham. So had to give her another plug. Nothing wrong with giving people their roses as they um, do deserve them. Um, yes, sir. And I think it's, I think it's important that, you know, we highlight just how impactful um, the public health department is not just here in St. Louis, but across the board in a lot of major cities. Um, you know, I think they're 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 great for care and providing care for those populations that might not have the resources. And um, you know, me and my co-host, I think we can both honestly say that's part of the, that's mainly the reason why we got into healthcare is to provide care and uh, maybe even create models around uh, you know th those 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 populations that were just underserved. Um, so thank you and thank you um, to to Dr. Cunningham as well. Um, <laughs> Like I wanted to ask though, and I'm really curious about is, you know, as you do, you know, so much work in the community, what are some of the barriers or some of the challenges that you consistently see? Um, and how do you kind of circumnavigate that? Or is it still like an ongoing kind of battle? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's this thing called influence and relationship building. Uh, anytime you're in a leadership position, man, and then when you go into, I, I spoke about negotiating, that was just, I, I gave the salary example. But when you go into this place, some of the barriers are, you know, we can, we're, we're, we're limited to the things that we can do based on finances. And a lot of times we have to think outside the box of how can we create an environment that uh, helps us meet the needs of the public without breaking the bank. And, and I know I, I, I talked about being for profit and being, you know, driven by profits, um, there are some studies that say if you put more money in social services and you'll, you'll get that back, right? Because we'll start reducing uh, chronic diseases. We'll start uh, help people will be more inclined to go and see their healthcare provider and then being supported in those areas. And, and so that's, some, there's some best practices out there too. My challenges in this role, mostly uh, having to do with uh, pay equity for employees uh, and, uh, as far as patient care goes, I haven't had any obstacles to do what I needed to do in this space, man. And that's just refreshing because there's partnerships. And then we have this wonderful, I talked about health promotions and their ability to find grants and our grants team that helps to support that. And we have a strategic uh, initiative team that looks at strategy and planning, and it helps us to meet the needs of our population. 
my biggest obstacle is really just trying to um here let me let me tell you this this is a scoop so st st the st louis county department of public health uh, our clinic spaces the three clinics uh, we're going for uh fqhc look-alike you heard it live here first yeah so we're working on our hrsa application to be able to provide more services and again to get some of those federal funds to be able to put some uh, informative programs and some transformational programs in place uh, based in best practices that allow people to come to this space and create an environment that they're going to be successful in. So I'm really happy about that. We have a board that's in place. Again, uh, this has been going on for about three to five years, but it takes a leader like Dr. Cunningham to come in and to kind of just help things along a little bit. So that's where we are. Wow. You know, I, um, I've just, I've been writing my notes and one of the, the phrases that I wrote down was to keep that same energy, you know, because I think, you know, Brandon, what I'm reflecting on and, and, and is, and I can imagine some of our listeners as well in the audience, you know, you get into healthcare and like you said, we definitely are very brash. Uh, you know, we, we don't really know, the rule book, we don't have, you know, certain just cues about how do you operate in this space, regardless of where you are, right? Because if health equity was easy to advance, it would have been done, right? So I think everybody initially meets certain challenges when they have this mindset. And for me, going on my, you know, second, third year now really being in healthcare, sinking my teeth in, there are definitely... Man. That's it. <laughs> no, but that's that's it. And so, but you know, there's a part of me personally that's like, man, you know, I've kind of gotten, I wouldn't say complicit or complacent, but some of the barriers or challenges that we have is kind of like we we continue to allow them to be barriers or challenges. And really, I think it is a this is a refresher for me just being able to hear you share your perspective, but also your energy, because here you are established, responsible for lives and still have the same energy that we had when we came in. And so I think it's like, I'm like, okay, I got to stay, I got to stay ready. I got to stay hungry, you know, for, for our mission. Um, and so I just want to, you know, Say kudos to you and, and and let you know that I appreciate you for still having this infectious energy because it's definitely something that we all need. You, you know, I, I appreciate that. And, and, and this environment is essential to cultivate the resilience and surround yourself with mm. networks of individuals who challenge your perspectives. You know, it, you just said it. It helps you to push boundaries and encourage your own personal growth. It's not a place for people with thin skin. It's a place that those people who want to be brash and they want to look at opportunity to connect with like-minded individuals because I aspire to do great things and I want to be around people who share those same beliefs. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it, man. You, you hit yeah. it right on the head. Yeah. C cultivating your resilience. That is yeah. a powerful, yeah. that's yeah. some powerful yeah. phraseology for me yeah. right there. Thank you. Uh, that's great. That's excellent. Yeah. You, you have to, right. I mean, right now there's some, uh, um, reliability, you know, healthcare reliability organizations out there who mm -hmm. thrive on cultivating resilience. And right. it's all about how you do the work that you do and look at quality and safety in those, in those roles, in those mm -hmm. areas and promote 
healthier outcomes. And right. that's what it's about, man. And then the, the piece about, you know, getting with someone who's like-minded, it's very important because we take on the personality and the characteristics of the five people that we see the most. Mm. So if you know that, if you, if you right now, Winston, if you and Brandon right now, you're on the podcast and you're getting this, this, uh, I'm gonna call it a lick. You get me this lick that I'm giving you, and uh, I'm getting a lick from you as well. And the people that are listening, if we go outside this space and we surround ourselves with people who aren't like-minded, then you best believe that our character and our resilience is gonna change because now we're wow. not cultivating it. We're subscribing to what they say. Wow. Yeah. Proceed. Proceed. Yes. I, I like. I know we're coming up on time, but I would really like that. As a final question, you know, for our young listeners, early careerists, grad students, what advice do you have um, just to share with our audience um, for people aspiring to be where you're at or even beyond and um, just, you know, going through their career and figuring things out? What, what advice would you have? Well, I, again, I just kind of touched upon, I think, surrounding yourself with, you know, your supportive, diverse network. And you can continuously evolve and embrace new perspectives on your journey to self-discovery and fulfillment. That's what I would say. I do that every day, bro. It's not a day that I go by that I'm not grateful for what, you know, the creator has given me. And, and uh, you know, and, and I'm also grateful for my wife and my daughter being able to uh, stomach all of all of this stuff that's going on in my brain a lot of times, man. So, you know, I wear my passion on my sleeve. Uh, I think it's important for people to uh, look at mentorship. Mentorship is important. So we have all we all have unique backgrounds and experiences, and you know we need to find people to go along that journey with. I've been fortunate; I've had a lot of mentors that guide me through different and various stages of my life. I have mentors that I do. I have kicking it mentors, right? Mm -hmm. Mentors that I kick it with. I have mentors that help me with my spiritual self. I have an entrepreneurial mentor who keeps me on my toes and keeps me looking at the next thing. And, you know, just being really focused. So I, I think that was, that would be some advice, man. Mentorship won't cost you anything. It's really, it, it, the only thing it costs is you having the ability to think it's important enough to seek it. Mm. That's the cost. Because the time you're, you're, you're getting these licks that you're getting from your mentors that's going to help mold you and transform you into a better version of yourself. And all of us want to try and strive to be better. So that's what I say, man. Meet challenges head on. Don't be scared to uh, take a blow or two for the cause. And just know that you have a network that you can support. And a lot of times, you know, I call my network all the time just to check myself because I don't know everything. And we have to be open and understand that we don't know everything. So we need, when they say that it takes a village, it literally takes a village. Wow. Uh, man, this has been a... Uh... An episode full of advice, really. Um, a lot of different quotables, and I'm just going to run through some things um, for those that have made it this far. Um, you know, be in the right place at the right time and do something with that moment. Um, you know, cultivate your resilience. Surround yourself around like-minded individuals. And one of the most important things that I think I'm going to take away from this is that our commitment to the public and, and driving more equitable outcomes is what is allowed to be personal. Yes. Our work and how we do that is just business. Complete business. Yes, sir. 
I love it. Well, Ronald, you know, uh, like you said, we're, we're at time here. Um, we really appreciate, you know, you being able uh, to, to share some of your time, your knowledge, your wisdom and experiences with us. Um, as we sign out, is there anywhere uh, that the public, any of our listeners uh, may be able to connect with you or, or, or just follow your moves yeah. on social media or anything like that? Man, listen, R-G-R-I-F-F-I-N at St. Louis County M-O dot G-O-V is my email address. Check this out. 314-901-1243 is my cell phone. If there's anything that I can do, man, I'm open to having uh, sit-downs with anybody. Just know that we have governmental rules that we go through, so we don't do pre-selection. Everything has to go to through an RFP process, and that's request for proposal. I can't, you know, I can't just give a company access. I, I don't have that, but we can certainly have some conversations about what that looks like. And if there's anybody, any group that wants to do some collaboration with the uh, Department of Public Health, holla at your boy. I'll help where I can, man. And we're just trying to do the work of the people and be stewards of what God had us to do, has us to do. Love it. Thank you so much, Ronald. I appreciate this, man. This is, uh, this is really a, a dream. Uh, I, I, I'm very super happy to be amongst you brothers, man. I can't say enough. The work that you're doing in this space is invaluable. Please keep it up. And if there's anything that I can ever do to help you to, guide you to support you please let me know well that's it for the episode and we want to thank you for listening to the healthcare hustle podcast make sure to check us out each month on spotify and apple Podcasts, and stay up to date with the healthcare hustle fam by following our page on linkedin the marathon continues so keep on hustling